0: Crossings podcast community. This teaching is called Let the Old Ways Die and is the 11th teaching in our study through the book of Jeremiah. It was taught by Caleb Gilmore on January 9th, 2022. Thanks for listening. On April 26th, 1986, there was an explosion in a nuclear reactor in Russia in a city called Chernobyl. The explosion and the immediate mishandling of that catastrophe took place in short because no one believed that it could happen, that it was even possible. The crisis occurred because the warning signs, all of the things that people who should have been paying attention to the details should have picked up on, had been suppressed. The Soviet government had certain goals to meet and so inconvenient truths were buried. A disaster happened at Chernobyl because no one wanted to believe that a disaster could happen. A few years ago, HBO did this amazing, uh, dramatic miniseries called Chernobyl about these events. Um, Only six episodes, but in the opening scene of this short Series, Jared Harris, who plays the prophetic scientist Valeri Lagasov, talks about the denial of truth and the danger of lies. And I want to play this clip for you. Where I once would fear the cost of truth, now I only ask, what is the cost of lies? It's not that we'll mistake them for the truth. The real danger is that if we hear enough lies, then we no longer recognize the truth at all. What can we do then? What else is left but to abandon even the hope of truth and content ourselves instead with stories in these stories. It doesn't matter who the heroes are. All we want to know is who is to blame. Amazing line to begin the show. So starting back in September of 2021, last year, we began this study of this Hebrew Bible prophet, Jeremiah. And last week, Mark kicked off or rebooted this series uh, that will conclude in just a month. And throughout this series, we've been telling a story on the canvas. If you've missed some weeks or you're fairly new to us back to this year, you'll see that this canvas is completely black. Underneath the blackness of this canvas is a story that we had been telling, that we reviewed last week. If you come and inspect it closely, you can actually see the outlines, the impressions of things that have been done to it. But this morning, this week, and for the rest of the series, all we have right now is a black canvas, completely dark, One of the reasons that we felt like this book of Jeremiah was so timely for us to study as a faith community was because of how eerily it mirrors a post-Chernobyl, post-truth world that we live in. Like recently, just for example, Adam McKay wrote and directed this satirical film, it's on Netflix now, called Don't Look Up. And the basic gist of the story is these two astrophysicists, played by Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence, discover that there is a world-killing comet that has a direct course for Earth. And as they try to report their findings to the government and to the media, they're dismayed to realize that no one wants to take this scientific fact as reality. I don't want to spoil the movie, I'm not going to do anything like that, but Basically, the world becomes divided into two conflicting political camps over a very non-political comet. One crowd who believes in the science of what these people are talking about and demands action forms a group called Look Up. And they take to social media saying, just look up. Because as the comet gets closer and closer to Earth, it becomes visible to the naked eye. If you just look up and see this, you'll know this is coming for us. But another group denies the reality of this event because it is just too inconvenient. It's too scary, too depressing. And their rally cry, as the movie is titled, is don't look up if we just pretend like this isn't happening, if we don't acknowledge the truth, we have nothing to fear. The prophet Jeremiah lived in a don't look up world. He lived in a society which believed that a Chernobyl-type disaster, a world-killing comet, wouldn't happen because it couldn't. God wouldn't let it. Last week, Mark talked about the time Jeremiah nearly lost his life for trying to get Israel just to look up. And in 597 BC, Jeremiah's prophecies were partially fulfilled. So this is the part of the story where you have to know a little bit of history. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon in 597 entered Jerusalem, deposed the setting king named Jehoiakim, and exiled him in his court along with high-ranking priests and prophets, to Babylon. And certain biblical authors, like the prophet Ezekiel and Daniel, were a part of this group that got exiled. Nebuchadnezzar then installed a guy named Zedekiah, who was supposed to act as a puppet king immediately after he did this. And our stories today take place in this setting, immediately after Zedekiah has been placed on the throne, Zedekiah was a weak king. He was ineffectual. He was a demagogue. He bowed to the pressures of the loudest voices in his court and in the city who happened to continue to oppose Babylonian power, to continue to resist. And for reasons we aren't really entirely sure of, there are five kings from local kingdoms who actually came to Jerusalem as a leadership summit to try to convince him to join a resistance, a don't look up movement. And it is at this international summit that Jeremiah gate crashes the party with a prophetic image. I want to read this. This is in Jeremiah 27. In the beginning of the reign of King Zedekiah, son of Josiah of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus the Lord said to me, make yourself a yoke of straps and bars and put them on your neck. So a yoke, if you don't know, is an agricultural device that's used primarily to tie animals together to get them to work as a unit. It's a controlling device. And in the ancient world, when a person or a people group was under the controlling power of someone else they bore the yoke of that more powerful party. So this could be a political metaphor, like the oppressive yoke of Babylon in this story. But it could also be the posture of a student who takes on a teacher, like when Jesus tells his disciples, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yokes don't always have to be a bad thing. And that's what Jeremiah's message was to the people continuing in 27 i spoke to king zedekiah of judah in the same way bring your necks under the yoke of the king of babylon and serve him and his people and live why should you and your people die by the sword by famine by pestilence as the lord has spoken concerning any nation that will not serve the king of babylon Don't listen to the words of the prophets who are telling you not to serve the king of Babylon, for they are prophesying a lie to you. I have not sent them, says the Lord, but they are prophesying falsely in my name, with the result that if you listen to them, I will drive you out and you will perish, you and the prophets who are prophesying to you. So Jeremiah comes to this newly installed king, this this moment of perhaps hope that things can change. And these leaders of Jerusalem who have come to pay attention to what has happened. Look what has taken place. This king has already come in. He's already taken several of our leaders and removed them from us. And he can and will do this again. Babylon is now in control. And Jeremiah says, Yahweh, Israel's God, has sanctioned that. Anyone saying otherwise is telling lies. But a prophet for the don't look up party has other ideas. Jeremiah now tells a story about a guy named Hananiah. In the same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, The prophet Hananiah, son of Azor from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord, in the temple, in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the house of the Lord, all these worship instruments that the king had taken which King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place King Jeconiah, another name for Jehoiakim, the son of Jehoiakim of Judah and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, says the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Those are two very different messages. And to this, in the presence of Jeremiah, when he speaks this, Jeremiah literally says, Amen. May it be so. But he says, it's not going to happen. And you'll know this is a false prophecy. You'll know that this guy is telling you a lie when the opposite takes place. Hananiah responds, Jeremiah telling the story, then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke from the neck of the prophet Jeremiah and broke it. And this is the answer to this rebellious act when Yahweh replies. He tells Jeremiah, go tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord, you have broken wooden bars only to forge iron bars in place of them. The point is, if Israel would just be willing to take its medicine for all the bad choices it had made, except the Babylonian yoke for a limited amount of time, things could eventually change. But if they refused to learn and listen, it would be much more difficult. An iron yoke instead of a wooden one. The story, not ironically, concludes with the notice that in that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. So the rest of our passage uh, this morning is really revolving around uh, two or three chapters, Jeremiah 29, 1 through 31, 1. And these passages essentially consist of a mailing correspondence between a group of people who had been taken into Babylon in 597, this group of exiles, and Jeremiah, who's still in Jerusalem. They are literally postcards to exiles, to people who feel as if they are refugees. And apparently both in Jerusalem and in the exile, the don't look up and the look up parties are continuing to debate. And the main question for them is, how long is this going to last? We accept that we are in exile, but how long is this going to continue? Jeremiah 29 contains the now famous, but often pulled out of context answer to that question. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Jeremiah's answer to this group of people who are asking him, how long? is a pretty long time. This exile is going to go on for some time, so long that you should draw up plans for a house. You you should plant gardens and expect to eat their produce. You should marry off your kids and expect grandkids. Some of you aren't coming home. Don't resist Babylon. Seek its welfare, this Hebrew word shalom, shalom this word that's very important to our community, this notion of peace and wholeness and restoration. Seek your oppressor's shalom, for in their shalom, you will be in a place of shalom yourself. Jeremiah goes on to say, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, for surely... I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare, shalom, and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then, when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So this prophecy of Jeremiah is is pretty famous. Even if you haven't read the whole book of Jeremiah, you may recognize certain lines from this, but this prophecy about 70 years, the, the Babylonian exile being 70 years long, becomes very famous in biblical literature. But it's not supposed to be a precise date. That's not the purpose. Jeremiah isn't putting a pen on a calendar somewhere. It's rooted in this symbolic number, seven, which is the number of days that it took to create the world, this number of perfection times a factor of 10. So in other words, this, this 70 years, Jeremiah is saying, Only when this exile experience has fully and completely done its work on you, that's when you'll be free to go back. Not a moment sooner. Only when the exile has fully entered into your DNA that you understand what it means, will you be the kind of person who can go back. And every time I read this passage, I can't help but wonder if I'm appropriately overwhelmed by the radical nature of this message. The idea that being in exile in your own generation is to your benefit, for your shalom, and not a harmful thing is actually a very difficult pill to swallow, as I'm sure that many of you know. As we were preparing to teach on this, um, Molly, our lead pastor, and Rachel, who does our children's ministry, she brought to my attention a book by Barbara Brown Taylor called Learning to Walk in the Dark. I don't know if some of you may have read this. In the book, she wrestles with the fact that so many faith communities want to pretend that the darkness, the exile, isn't real. They don't want to look up. She talks about how using a certain kind of language that only embraces the light or the lighter side of faith uh, can result in a kind of spirituality that deals with darkness by denying its existence or at least depriving it of any meaningful attention. Uh, I want to read a bit of what she says here because I think it's pretty powerful. She calls this kind of spirituality... A full solar spirituality, since it focuses on staying in the light of God around the clock, both absorbing and reflecting the sunny side of faith. She says, you can usually recognize a full solar church by its emphasis on the benefits of faith, which include a sure sense of God's presence, certainty of belief, divine guidance in all things, and reliable answers to prayer. She goes on to say, if you've ever belonged to such a community, however, you may have discovered that the trouble starts when darkness falls on your life, which can happen in any number of unsurprising ways. You lose your job, your marriage falls apart, your child acts out in some attention getting way. You pray hard for something that does not happen. You begin to doubt some of the things you've been taught about what the Bible says. And the first time you speak of these things in a full solar church, you can usually get a hearing. Continue to speak of them, and you may be reminded that God will not let you be tested beyond your strength. All that is required of you is to have faith. If you still do not get the message, sooner or later, it will be made explicit for you. The darkness is your fault because you do not have enough faith. Having been on the receiving end of this verdict more than once, I don't think it's as mean as it sounds. The people who said it seemed genuinely to care about me. They had honestly offered me the best they had. Since their sunny spirituality had not given them many skills for operating in the dark, I had simply exhausted their resources. As I I think about what we're doing here, I I think about what is happening in Jeremiah's time, and I think that that's what's going on. I I think that the leadership of Israel, the kings and the priests and the prophets, had given the people a full solar spirituality. Don't look up, just believe. Keep the status quo going, and it'll all be okay. Okay. And I don't think it's always nefarious or sinister. There's not always some evil plot behind it, though often in Jeremiah's day there was. Sometimes people just aren't equipped for the darkness, and they don't know how to equip others, which I think is why Jeremiah's book is such a gift. Jeremiah's constant commands to look up from our lives and embrace the darkness, to lean into exile are exactly about equipping people to walk in the darkness of life. But we must look up. We we must acknowledge the darkness. We must confess that the old ways of doing faith maybe have to die. The hyped-up spirituality. The always-feel-good worship music. The health, wealth, and prosperity lie the evangelism for the sake of confirming my own faith in someone else, the political confirmation bias, the vending machine God who gives me what I want as long as I believe hard enough, the Bible as answer book and fortune cookie. I think that's all gotta die. And I know that many people in this community have been burned by the full solar church mentality. But are we actually willing to let that way of operating die so that we can experience something else? The rest of Barbara Brown Taylor's book explores uh, faith in the darkness following the cycles of the moon. From the new moon in the utter darkness to the full moon, where you could actually go out and walk around and have enough light to see her solution to full solar spirituality is what she calls lunar spirituality. A cycle of varying degrees of darkness, but usually, occasionally, with enough light to still see by. She writes, uh, lunar spirituality cannot be rushed. No matter how badly you want to get where you're going, Step one of learning to walk in the dark is to give up running the show. Next, you sign the waiver that allows you to bump into some things that may frighten you at first. Finally, you ask darkness to teach you what you need to know. You will soon have new companions as brave and curious as you are about the nightlife of your soul. I can't speak for you, I, I just know that I am, I'm tired of faking the full solar spirituality. I need, I need something that admits, okay, here comes the nighttime. The invitation of Jeremiah in this book that we are studying together is an invitation that the exile, the darkness, the refugee of the soul have so much to teach us about our dependence on ourselves, about our dependence on false ideas about who God is, about our ability to even pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And if this lesson, if this lunar spirituality, this abandonment of full solar spirituality is really and truly about welfare, about shalom, the way that it was intended to be, restoration for us. Maybe, just maybe, it's time to let the old ways die. I think uh, I've had a lot of conversations with many of you and through through some of other less smaller conversations um, we, we are living in a time where people are just really rethinking everything, whether it's because it's a pandemic or because we hear two different sides of people claim very different versions of reality. It's just very hard to know where these lies and what the cost of lies are. How do we know what we know? How can we be sure about what we believe? And for some, the answer is, is double down. Be more certain than ever draw the line harder and more defined than we've ever drawn it before. And for some people it's just to be done, just to walk away. I think that within this community there's a spectrum somewhere on that. And I think that what we read about in Jeremiah when we talk about exile, it's easy to romanticize it. Say I'm just an exile, I just really don't fit in, I'm a misfit. But if your experience is been much more traumatic than that, there's nothing glamorous about being in exile. There's nothing satisfactory about having to grieve and mourn something that you've lost. But these things happen to us and if we don't look up, if we don't acknowledge them, we will never grow. We will never move forward. To some extent, that's what this table is that we come around every week. This this table that has the elements of the body and the blood, this this laying down, this dying to the old ways. Because that only through a form of dying do we embrace, do we walk into newness of life. And around this table, there are no boundaries to prevent you from coming and participating in this if this seems like shalom to you. So wherever you happen to be, whether in exile or not, whether embracing it or not, this table stands as invitation, as a possibility for a new way. Whenever you're ready, we invite you to come.